0: Hey, this is noah levine founder of against the stream refuge recovery and dharma punks thanks for tuning into the podcast i hope you're enjoying the dharma together may we create a positive change on this planet if you feel moved to leave a donation there's a link in the show notes may our paths cross soon all right let's get started welcome everyone How many people here for the first time? Welcome, front row. Uh, Welcome to anybody joining us for the first time on Zoom. Um, I'd like to begin class by uh, having you have a short discussion with each other as a way to start to build community and introduce a topic and with the hope that Against the Stream will be not just a place to practice meditation, but to develop this one of the core tenets of Buddhism is uh, called Sangha, taking refuge in Sangha. Sangha translates the way we think about it as community or fellowship or, um, you know, having relationships with other people who are also meditating and trying to develop wisdom and compassion in our lives. So tonight I'm gonna uh, the topic and for exploration meditation and uh, discussion is death and in, in, um, we talk a lot about impermanence and the buddha had a lot of teachings about death and so we're going to talk about death tonight and our relationship to death and the importance of having a relationship with the reality of uh, temporariness of our lives and of the lives of everyone that we know and care about and the reality on this planet that we, we don't last all that long will last for a while. Um, so before we meditate on death and we'll do this meditation tonight, right in the first foundation. Uh, right after uh, the Buddha gives the original instructions to uh, be mindful of your breath as the kind of intro meditation instructions. He then expands from mindfulness, present time awareness of breathing sensations in the body to then investigating the body as uh, the four elements and seeing like when you really look at your direct experience, what's going on here other than, um, you know, air, the, the breath teaches us about that and the earth element, the solidity of the kind of carbon earth in our bodies and the um, fire element the heat of you know living in this 98.5 degree uh, oven and not even being hot but it's always 98 some you know somewhere in there high 90s it's always high 90s inside Uh, which is interesting right because when it's high 90s outside you're like "Fuck, (laughs) (laughs) this is way too hot but we walk around at 98 99 every day so uh remembering you know he asks us to look at that fire element and what am i missing air uh earth heat oh and water and the fact that you know this body really is i think it's like close to 80 percent water and uh you know we we think like wow i'm like this solid thing and you're this solid thing but really like you're just a water bag (laughs) you know like even the way we sometimes like a bag of bones and it's like well bones are like two percent it's like 80 percent water or whatever i don't know how much the earth element is a pretty small percentage of the body and so then the buddha goes after the four elements to uh, inviting us to meditate on uh, the 32 parts of actually this sort of anatomy reflection in meditation and saying like well what is this body there's skin there's hair there's nails there's all of these organs there's all of these processes in the body and then the final thing where i'm getting to with this the final reflection part of the mindfulness of the body is becoming mindful of the impermanence of the body and um, that the body uh, is in a process of you know aging and decay and death and there's a whole very um kind of explicit in investigation that we will do tonight on seeing the body as a corpse and imagining our own uh, decay and our own uh you know as the elements disperse first you meditate on like yep I'm these elements and then you meditate on death and realize oh as soon as you know the body stops breathing and the heart stops beating all of those elements just start to disperse to where there's just you know, decay and you know if we left the body out anyways we're going to talk about all that tonight so as i introduce the topic to you for your discussion how do you feel about dying how do you feel about death your death other people's death uh, the truth of impermanence Um, have a short discussion on it and then we'll meditate on it and then we'll uh, have a a class and i'll give you some of the buddha's teachings about death so go ahead introduce, try to introduce yourself to a couple people in the room you don't know, rather than just talking to your friends that you're here with that way you build some community make some new connections, you got about five minutes to, to talk. Welcome back, I know that was a brief discussion of a big topic, how do you feel about death one minute go. <laughs> <know>. i'm scared.
1: <coughs> I
0: think I have a um, maybe a rare, uh, maybe it's not as rare as I think, but uh, rare, maybe uh, sort of, maybe even neurotic relationship to death since um, I, I've I had, not, not anymore, but I had a pretty intimate relationship with suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation from a very young age, from like five years old. And to death to me always seemed like it would be a relief, uh, which I know a lot of people that they're like, no, no, not a relief, terrifying. Um, but for, uh, I think also because I was raised believing the, the Buddhist concept of reincarnation, not necessarily believing it, but that's what that's what my dad said was going on. My mom seemed to be on board with, we don't really die. And, you know, our relationship to death is different when, you know, your conditioning is life is temporary and it's a cycle that leads to the next life, than when you're conditioned with the afterlife is eternal, you're never coming back here, you're going up there or down, you know, (laughs) and it's a different, you know, conditioning for us if you believe that when you die, you, you know, are judged. And, you know, there's a destination based on your, how you're judged by a God uh, that says you're going to heaven, you're your, the, the, all of this, all these stories about the pearly gates, all the good jokes about, you know, St. Peter's or whoever it is, St. Peter, right? Yeah, the, at the gates, uh, party with Jesus in heaven. Um, so for me, death uh I I've always when I got introduced to these Buddhist death meditations I was like oh this is cool um I like it it's uh interesting comforting the the medicine some of the instructions are kind of gory I'm like oh I like gory shit imagine worms eating your face like okay I can get into that <laughs> <laughs> I like gore um before we do it i sometimes forget to remind everybody that the whole point of this isn't to be morose or um the point of reflecting on death is to help us appreciate life and you know i think two two parts one is to appreciate life and to maybe be pay a little bit closer attention and have a little bit more um Urgency a little bit more, kind of like this is a precious opportunity that we have here while we're alive to do some healing and some awakening, some recovering, some uh, service. You know, we have this uh, temporary time together to treat each other with kindness and forgiveness and love and, you know, to put some of that uh, emphasis. So we look at death so we can stop being so complacent about. you know i'll get to it later all of that sort of the way that the mind postpones and procrastinates and forgets to directly experience what's right in front of us because we're like oh you know i'll enjoy life when i retire (laughs) if i get there right Um, and then when we you know retire we're like oh this is miserable bored i don't know if anybody ever said that but seems like it (laughs) Um, so that, I think that's a piece of it, the preciousness of life. And then the other um, aspect is, is preparation for grief. for not only our own death and, and presence in our own life, but the reality that we're going to lose our loved ones, you know, in the kind of, uh, I want to say natural order, but I don't know if that's right. But, or, you know, uh, most of the time, you know, you lose your grandparents, you lose your parents. You know you, you lose friends along the way there's the accidents and the diseases and the causes of you know suicides and the causes of death that we encounter and then you know there's the you know elders who likely pass before us and we live with the uh, grief of uh, oh you know grandma's not here anymore my parents aren't here anymore um, so part of this is also just preparation for loss so both you know, both motivations. So I'll start tonight in a kind of mindfulness practice uh, in in the meditation instructions that goes through um, a reflection on the five daily remembrances. This is one of the uh, teachings of the Buddha that has to do with death and that he encourages us to, and it's called daily for, uh, you know, the encouragements to integrate this kind of reflection into our life on a daily basis and then i'll go into the corpse meditation and actually reflecting on the decaying nature uh, of the body uh, when it dies And so so find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed and um, comfortable sometimes during corpse meditations i'll even let people lay down and you know or but so if you want to take the corpse pose and there's room in the room you're welcome to or you're at home and it's easy for you to lay on your couch or bed or something you can lay down if you want to um, but it's also fine to do in the sitting posture
1: As you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed.
0: settling into the direct experience of your body with a bit of a investigation, how do you know you're alive right now? What are the signs of life in your body here and now?
1: feeling the breath the heartbeat the sensations that let us know still still here still alive Give the kind of attention to your breath as though it might be your last.
0: Paying attention to our present time experience without taking it for granted.
1: Precious. Appreciating that the body keeps breathing and that the heart keeps beating Remembering
0: how old you are, how old this body is right now, how many years since you took birth.
1: Recollecting
0: your early memories or pictures you've seen as yourself as a baby, that tiny body. The first part of the five daily remembrances is on aging, reflecting on your experience of aging so far, being born, growing up, all of the ways that the body
1: changes, going through puberty,
0: And then at some point, I believe it's pretty young, like around 20 years old, the body stops, might even be in our late teens, that rather than the body continuing to
1: develop, it starts to decay, pretty young age.
0: Reflecting on how for the first 20 or so years of life, the body is growing.
1: And then for the rest of our lives, it's just decaying. Slowly. What has your
0: experience of decay been so far? As the skin begins to lose its elasticity that it had when we were younger,
1: the hair begins to fall out or gray. Some of you are young enough to not see this directly yet, but just imagine.
0: And the first phrase in the reflections is saying to ourselves, this body is subject to aging,
1: acknowledging aging.
0: with a simple statement to ourselves internally, I am not exempt from aging.
1: Having taken birth into a body that is in the process of aging. The second reflection is about illness, disease, also injury, as you reflect on your life,
0: uh, loved ones, what illnesses have you experienced, even just getting a cold this body that gets sick
1: getting the flu or getting corona covid this body that can cancer or all of the other diseases that bodies encounter,
0: that we hope to avoid, but that we may very well be subject to. This reflection on this body that we're in
1: is subject to illness, disease, injuries, With a, again the statement, I am not exempt from illness. I'm not exempt from aging, not exempt from becoming sick. The
0: third reflection is on death itself. This body subject to aging and sickness is impermanent. This body that takes birth
1: will also die. We say to ourselves, I am not exempt from death, from dying. The fourth. Recollection
0: was about the impermanence of our possessions. Not only will this body
1: die, be lost,
0: all of the things that we cling to, the things that we thought were so important,
1: will be lost. We don't get to take anything, any of our material possessions with us. And all of the people that we cling to. Also, the impermanent nature of relationships. One of us will die.
0: All things that we cling to end in loss. I am not exempt from loss. These
1: first four. Common sense.
0: Universal truths about existence, aging, sickness, death, loss. The fifth one, the final one, perhaps a little bit more Buddhist in its essence, philosophy. The fifth recollection is
1: about karma
0: and the simple form is reminding ourselves that our only true possession the only thing that we own that we take with us when the body dies is our karma how we have behaved how we've acted how we've reacted how we've lived our lives
1: My karma is my only true possession.
0: Now shifting to the corpse meditation, reflecting as you sit here again feeling very much alive. You don't have to imagine your own death in this as much as just trying to visualize a dead body. imagine a dead body laid out right here in front of you and you reflect on that being that has lived a life
1: and that their life is over and we reflect for
0: ourselves that this will also be our experience our destiny, that we're not exempt from dying.
1: And then that body that was once very much alive.
0: Although in life, we're in a process of decay when the Body stops breathing, the heart stops beating, that decay accelerates, and the four elements begin to come apart, dissolve.
1: So this reflection is on the stages of decay of the body. Freshly dead,
0: not exempt from dying. And then as the body, imagine that it was sitting out for some days or weeks. The skin begins to
1: fall off. In the traditional
0: instructions from the Buddha, he says, imagine looking at this corpse thrown onto a charnel ground out in the open and that it has begun to be eaten by crows, hawks, or vultures, by dogs or jackals, or devoured by all kinds of worms. So one regards our own body saying to ourselves, this body of mine also has this nature, this destiny, and cannot escape it. Probably a little harder for us to imagine a charnel ground with a corpse sitting out being eaten by animals and worms. But let your imagination reflect on this very natural process of death and
1: how this body becomes food for the worms, the birds. The dogs and jackals, your cat eating your face.
0: He goes on, he says, and further, just as though we were looking at a corpse thrown on the charnel ground, a framework of bones. Flesh hanging from it. Splattered with blood, held together by sinews. This progression
1: of the rot, decay,
0: impermanence of this physical form, the four elements. First, the water goes,
1: dries up.
0: continuing to reflecting that there's just a framework of bone, just a skeleton stripped of flesh.
1: Without blood,
0: but held together. By the cartilage, the sinews. Imagine that skeleton, we've all seen the skeletons Halloween around the corner. This body of mind also inside a
1: skeleton has this destiny, this nature cannot escape it.
0: Reflecting on the Skeleton coming apart, bones disconnected, scattered all over the place. Here a bone of the hand, there a bone of the foot. A shin bone, a thigh bone, there a pelvis, there a spine, a skull. What was once held together, easily identified as a person, comes apart, scatters when left out to the nature, and we reflect this body of mind also has this nature, has this destiny,
1: cannot escape it. This body will also fall apart.
0: The last part is imagining that the body was left out for so long that the bones begin to
1: crumble. Becoming dust that uh, breeze comes by, blowing the parts around, nothing remaining of that body. We are not exempt from death. This destiny, unavoidable, natural.
0: And so we sit here very much alive, feeling the breath the heartbeat, the sensations in the body. Training our heart, our mind to turn towards the truth of impermanence.
1: Reflecting on the preciousness of being alive, the opportunity that we have here and now to Do good, to heal, to develop wisdom, to create positive karma in our lives. is revisiting briefly these five daily recollections.
0: This body is subject to aging. I am not exempt from aging.
1: This body is subject to illness. I'm not exempt from illness. This body is subject to death. I'm not exempt from death and the process of decay that happens after. Everything that I cling to, I'm attached to in this life will be lost. My only true
0: possession, the only thing that I take with me, that I truly own is my karma. How I have reacted to the pain in my life, how much wisdom, compassion I've developed
1: in this lifetime, my only true possession.
0: useful when we finish a meditation to um take a moment to reflect on what just happened the eyes closed and the internal where your mind went how much we're able to stay with the practice how much the mind just started planning a vacation or something um
1: Checking in with our experience
0: and. if you've done these kind of practices for some period of time, you can also reflect on how your relationship to the topics, whether it's mindfulness or the corpse or the how it changes over the years of practice. Start to see some. Transformation. So as I was saying in the beginning, it is um, Buddhism does hold a, a worldview, uh, a you know perspective, a philosophy, uh, um, you know what they what would be considered part of the Dharma, part of the truth, um, that not only you know there's reflections on death, but that the that uh, there is a cycle of rebirth happening reincarnation as part of the buddha's teachings It's one of the things that uh, already existed in the indian culture that the buddha was born into and grew up into uh, what we call the hindu kind of uh, vedic ancient vedic pre-buddhist um, religious spiritual belief system um was in um almost an eternalist process of rebirth you know so in our you know judeo-christian uh perspective where you know christians are uh you know all of the all of the religions of abraham all of the uh you know the jews and the christians and the muslims all hold a eternalist Uh, perspective about death and the what happens after death. It's like you have a temporary life, and then you go somewhere forever. When you die, Uh, all of the um, and Buddhism, you know, in the in India, they had a perspective that that's not the case that you actually you have a lifetime and then you die and then based on the karma your actions in this lifetime you are reborn and that uh, that's a cycle that's going on it's not an eternalist uh, afterlife in heaven or hell or purgatory or something like that in buddhism the perspective is uh, you come back Um, and you can come back not only as a human being but that there are six realms of existence that one could reincarnate into uh, based on your karma based on your actions in this lifetime you, you may be reborn uh, in a heaven realm good good news but unlike the western ideas of heaven being eternal forever uh, in buddhism heaven realms are temporary so if you're, you know, you could kind of create enough karma where it's like you die and then you have this rebirth in in heaven, you know, you go to heaven, you experience heaven, but then you don't get to stay there. You just do some time in heaven, which, you know, nice vacation, I guess, you know, go hang out in heaven. There's 27 Buddhist heaven realms. And um, they're all a party. They're all realms of pleasure and. Comfort and happiness. And there's, I think, seven hell realms. You can also go to hell, create enough negative karma for yourself, uh, live a life of enough ignorance and confusion. You can, you know, from the Buddhist perspective, you can send yourself to hell, could be reborn in a hell realm. Hell realms also like our, you know, Judeo Christian hell realms fire, brimstone, torture. Although I think in um, the Western religions, are all the hell realms always hot, always fire? In this is interesting. In Buddhist, there's hell realms, hell realms that are ice realms. What do you choose? Like, eter- you know, like doing time in the fucking burning pit or in the frozen <laughs> cave? What's worse? You want to burn your skin off or freeze your ass off? there's also animal realms, ghost realms, jealous God realms. Um, So anyways, I think that death is um, there's a little bit different when we believe we're coming back. If we believe that. then if you believe that that's lights out forever you know and then maybe your relationship to death i feel like at this point um with science and education and philosophy and uh a healthy skepticism uh maybe a lot of people don't believe in any kind of afterlife and so that's i don't know in your small groups if you discuss that uh, kind of dismissing this possibility of reincarnation, but also dismissing the um, possibility of uh, some sort of eternal heaven hell experience and thinking one life. What do they say YOLO? You only live once not true from a Buddhist perspective. Uh, One life one chance and one of my you know some of the punk rock, some of the hardcore, the straight edge kids. One life, one chance. Not true from a Buddhist perspective, but maybe. I mean, I'm uh, honestly, I've been a Buddhist teacher for a long time. Uh, I'm kind of agnostic about it. I, I can't claim uh, for me. I I like the Buddhist teachings. I. Most of them make sense, and as I admitted in the beginning, I was conditioned with this. My parents said, "Like we don't really die; rebirth is part of your body dies, but that's not who you are." This kind of reflections of like, you know, you're your karma. You know, that's 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 what you are, not not this physical form. Um, but I don't. I I think it's quite healthy. Uh, it's interesting to talk about philosophy and what possibly happens and what we believe and about death and what happens after death. But hard to take much of a stance, hard to get too attached to like well, it's absolutely this or that. So I land in like, I don't know, but I do land a little bit in faith, in faith in Buddhism. In the buddhist perspective of rebirth only because and i'm not big on faith mostly one of the things that i love about buddhism is that it offers a direct experience verified you don't have to it's not a philosophy that you're supposed to believe in but meditate see how that works does it help practice renunciation stop lying and stealing and creating negative karma for yourself see if that makes if it helps <laughs> so you directly develop uh verified faith i've been practicing buddhism for 35 years now i was incredibly skeptical when i started 35 years ago i had no faith actually i was uh uh, only an inkling of hope that it would work at all for me but then as i started meditating i was like oh actually this does work a tiny bit so i'm going to keep doing it And then over the years of seeing like wow the four foundations of mindfulness have completely changed my relationship to pleasure and pain. And self centered nature of my mind and got a you know kind of deep verified experience of how the Buddhist mindfulness teachings work and the loving kindness and the compassion and the you know. And the renunciation of like actually I do feel better when I don't lie and feel the karmic guilt of lying. I do feel better when I don't steal and feel the karmic guilt of fear of getting caught or regret or I feel, you know, so that direct experience of Buddhism is true. What the guy had to say helps alleviate suffering when we practice it. So I, I land in this place of deep confidence in Buddhism now and verified like so let's say buddhism is the alphabet you know and the abcs are the mindfulness you learn the mindfulness abcs directly experienced yep that's abc and then you know lmnop qrs and reincarnation is like x y the end <laughs> what happens at the end xyz you die you take another lifetime because in our own direct experience, you know, uh, we can only verify up until so far. You're still here, still alive. I don't remember any past lives. I feel pretty skeptical of the shop down the street that for twenty bucks will tell you about your past lives. Very skeptical. Um, but you know, it's, so it's an interesting thing where it's like, well, I believe in past lives, but I'm not going to fucking fortune teller. I don't, I don't think I think they're full of shit you know, a lot of people think I'm full of shit. So like, I, you know, it's hard to hard to get too uh, fixed in the view of like, for sure, that's what's happening. I I encourage my own, uh, you know, what we call agnostically don't know, maybe, maybe we are reborn, maybe we're not. When it comes to some of those daily reflections that we're doing. Does it matter and and how you're gonna live your life, knowing that you're going to die, knowing that we're gonna die and that our loved ones are gonna die and that our parents and our children, and everyone we know is gonna die. Does it matter whether there's another life or not? Are you gonna be more ethical in this lifetime because you're afraid of a bad rebirth? Are you just gonna try to be a good person in this lifetime? for the direct results of this lifetime. Maybe if you don't believe in reincarnation, if we can't even open to the possibility that fifth reflection of the, your karma is your only true possession, can that still be true if there's no rebirth? I think so. I think there's a way in which we, you know, you start to see how temporary your possessions are how we kind of we can create an an image and identification with our stuff or our role in life and then things can happen things can change Um, i remember a few years ago when you know several people in the community lost their homes to the fires in in malibu and all of a sudden everything that they had that was their all gone. Not just like temporary, uh, you know, slow sort of losing some stuff, but just like everything except for the clothes on my back gone. Imagine that. There's an interesting story about that I'll read about um from the time of the Buddha. Um, pointing out how normal, natural, universal death is. I don't know about your self, your community. Do you talk about death? Is it on your radar? Um, Some people are quite, you know, maybe maybe some people in our community are involved in hospice or are kind of in the relationship in the conversation with death, uh, I think it's pretty rare. In our culture to give it much attention and and actually make it part of our practice. A story from the time of the Buddha It's called the parable of the mustard seed. It's about a, a woman gotami was her family name because she Tired easily, she was also called Kisa Gatami, or Frail Gatami. She was reborn in Savati in a poverty-stricken house. When she grew up, she married, going to the house of her husband's family to live. There, because she was the daughter of a poverty-stricken house, they treated her with contempt. After a time, she gave birth to a son, and then they accorded her respect. But when that boy of hers was old enough to play and run hither and about, he died sorrow sprang up within her she thought since the birth of my son i who was once denied honor and respect in this very house have received respect these folks may even seek to cast my son away taking her son on her hip she went about from one house to another saying give me medicine for my son wherever people encountered her they said where did you ever meet with medicine for the dead so saying they clapped their hands and laughed at her in derision she had not the slightest idea what they meant now a certain wise man saw her and thought this woman must have been driven out of her mind by sorrow for her son's death but medicine for her no one is likely to know the sage of the ten forces alone is likely to know that's a reference to the buddha the buddha's Alone likely to know. So this man said to her, Woman, as for the medicine for your son, there is no one else who knows except for the Buddha. The foremost individual in the world of men and worlds of gods resides at a neighboring monastery. Go to him and ask. The man speaks the truth, she thought. Taking her son on her hip, she took her stand in the outer circle of the congregation around the seated Buddha and said, O oh, exalted one, give me medicine for my son. The teacher, seeing the Buddha, seeing that she was ripe for understanding, said to her, you did well, Gotami. in coming hither for medicine. Go enter the city and make the rounds of the entire city, beginning at the beginning, and in whatever house no one has ever died, from that house, fetch a tiny grain of mustard seed. Very well, reverend, sir, she said, delighted in heart. She entered within the city and at the very first house said, the Buddha bids me to fetch tiny grains of mustard seed for medicine for my son. Give me tiny grains of mustard seed. Alas, Tommy, they said and brought and gave her some mustard seed. This particular seed I cannot take. In this house, someone has died. What say you, Gautami? Here it is impossible to count the dead. Well, then enough, I cannot take it, the sage of the ten. The Buddha uh, did not tell me to take mustard seed from a house where anyone had ever died. In the same way, she went to the second house into the third and the fourth. Finally, she understood in the entire city, this must be the way it is. The Buddha, full of compassion for the welfare of mankind, must have seen overcome with emotion. She went outside the city, carried her dead son to the charnel ground. Holding him in his arms, she said, Dear little son, I thought you, I thought that you alone had been overtaken by this thing which men call death, but you are not the only one death has overtaken. This is the law common to all human beings. So saying, she put her son on the burning, on the burning ground, the eternal ground. And then she uttered the following stanza. No village law, no law of market town, no law of a single house is this. Of all the world and all the worlds of gods, there is, there only is the law that all things are impermanent. One of the uh, places where there's, you know, grief is addressed. And interesting, I mean, who knows how accurate this is, but interesting that rather than the Buddha giving that direct teaching, he, he said, you know, we all have to kind of find out for ourselves and gave that sort of go, you need to figure this out. Because if I just tell you, you're so crazy with grief, you're not going to believe me. But if you go out and try to find any family that hasn't known death, any household, uh, and the reality is, of course, we all, we all have every family has as i said in the beginning the reflections on death and permanence both to help us enjoy the preciousness of life does it help did you feel like meditating on death gave it can give a can give a little urgency we can see where i've been procrastinating where I've been lazy, where I've maybe I'll take my meditation practice a bit more seriously. I could die at any minute. I don't know how much time I have. Maybe I'll make those amends that I've been putting off or express that gratitude that I, you know. My father created this practice called a year to live. I think actually some people, um Jeff who taught here last week, has been leading the year to live there's a whole process of imagine you had one year that was it and what do you need to do in this year if you really had a terminal diagnosis you got 12 months to live what do you need to do what can you do so that a year from now you know from in that process you could lie you could die with without regret or with less regret Well, he's got a whole process called finishing business about making amends for any harm we've caused in this life now myself and so many of our community are in recovery we know about making amends and the importance of asking for forgiveness taking responsibility making amends i did that practice probably 20 years ago now Um, i've done it a few times over the years but i think it originally came out in 97 Um, it's a long time ago now um and there's a whole process of like make amends like if you're gonna die, what do you need to clean up? What messes have you made? He calls it finishing business. But there was a piece in that practice that shifted my, that I hadn't done. I'd already made all of my ninth step amends at that time when I first did that practice. I'd, I'd, I'd completed that process. But there was a piece that he, he put out there that was powerful for me, which was, what about if you were gonna die, Soon, uh, expressing gratitude, appreciation, not just making amends for where we had been unskillful, unkind, you know, not only where harm would cause, but also people die with the regret of I forgot to say, to really express my love and my gratitude and my appreciation. I took it for granted I thought I'd get to thank everyone later. (laughs) I, I didn't feel clean and clear with like letting people know how important they were. To me, as a, a common regret on the deathbed, and um, so thinking about that in our lives as we reflect on death, who does everybody know? Maybe could they use a reminder? You're, you know, the people that are important to you. How much I love you. How much I care about you. How much I would miss you. How much I, you know, appreciate you those kind of things. So this, I feel like these practices are about giving that uh, preciousness and that urgency and that encouragement to not postpone doing what we can do to develop wisdom, to be compassionate, to be kind, to be generous, to be loving here and now in this lifetime, rather than thinking that like, I feel like one of the frames here too is in the traditional Indian society, not many um, householders meditated. And there's this, I forget what it's called, but these kind of stages of life where it's like you're a kid, you're growing up, you're studying, then you become a professional, you're a householder, you work, you know, you maybe have a little bit of spiritual sort of devotional thing. Um, But the people that meditate is like when you retire, then you get serious about your meditation. And the Buddha was like, why wait until you retire and you've lived a life of maybe not creating the best karma for yourself, do it now. We don't know if we're gonna get that old where we're gonna get to start meditating when we're 65 or 70, (laughs) start now, practice all the way through. Death is certain, the time of death is uncertain. Bring that kind of urgency to, to our practice. So maybe spending the last few minutes with questions discussion uh what's it bring up for you what um what do you think what do you any questions about buddhist perspectives on death and dying and rebirth and john go ahead
2: i know this is uh, probably largely Theravada, but the the i think we i recall you lecturing before about uh and mm-hmm. like not being perhaps the realm of the deathless right
0: and maybe can talk more about like what that concept actually is okay so uh what john's asking about in the buddhist the theravada and buddhist tradition um if we don't completely purify our karma we um you know become awakened in this lifetime we take rebirth and then, as we start to meditate and develop wisdom and compassion and uh, kind of aim for enlightenment, awakening, there are um, four stages or, or kind of, uh, of of enlightenment. And the first one is is that if you get to a certain place of experience and confidence and and wisdom understanding in this lifetime, it's called stream entry. The first one and stream entry perspective is that you've developed enough wisdom that you're inevitably going to become enlightened but it might take you up to seven more incarnations to get there so a depth of wisdom here and now but you've got some karma to burn off you're going to probably have to come back a few more times to finish out the process that you've started but it's kind of inevitable within seven lifetimes you will be free and not and the whole perspective of nirvana of enlightenment is that um it's the deathless what john was referring to it's the end of reincarnation you you if you're not enlightened you come back if you are enlightened you don't have to come back and keep be going through puberty over and over and over you get to like avoid that suffering you get to, you know, you to avoid this. And I know for a lot of people, we're so attached to life. We're like, but I I like it. I want to come back. Fucking awesome here. Um, but there's so much suffering here. And if we're really honest about not wanting to suffer or sincere about that, you might say, like, actually, I'd rather not continue this cycle of suffering. I'd, I'd like that liberation. I'd like to be free from. So first level, seven incarnations. Second level, you've developed so much wisdom, so much uh, compassion for yourself, and for um, that you uh, are so close to freedom, to getting off of the wheel of samsara, of rebirth, that you have one incarnation left. And maybe the context that John may have heard me have said this before, even this story of like uh, Gautami's young child dying common for us to think um, understandable to think what a tragedy to lose a child and this idea that like people should live a long life and probably that's true (laughs) probably that's true but when i remember when i learned this thing about uh, once returners that's what it's called that second level of uh, you're almost enlightened you have to take birth again you have to have one more incarnation i reflected on maybe some of the people that die young were almost enlightened and they didn't need a long life you know who needs long lives slow learners a lot of karma to burn off a lot of karma to burn off you need to live a long you know you know i've got a lot of work to do maybe the people who die younger kids you know whatever um have have burned off most of their karma they don't need a long life from this you know very buddhist perspective but it helps me sort of reframe uh the tragedy of early death and I experienced a lot of friends dying young in their 20s and 30s and I don't think probably none of them were once returners but who knows <laughs> certainly didn't behave like it who knows the second um, the third level is um, non-returner once returner non-returner means you have developed enough wisdom you don't have to come back you just have to live out the karma of this body. So maybe some of the elderly um, aren't slow learners. They're non-returners and they're just playing out. They've developed enough wisdom. They're just playing out the karma of this body. And then the um, Arahant uh, is the you know fully enlightened being here and now, can choose to stay or go, but usually out of compassion chooses to stay. But they're not burning off any more karma uh, the buddha was an an arahant it can be confusing what's the, the uh, why is there a different term than buddha and arahant this is buddhist nerd shit but the only difference between a buddhist a buddha fully enlightened the buddha you know we call siddhartha gautama the painting that's the buddha what's the difference between the buddha and if you get fully enlightened in this lifetime you're referred to as an arahant the one difference we have the instructions the buddha didn't have any instructions he figured it out on his own right we're just following the instructions this is how you come to enlightenment create positive karma no negative karma here's the meditation instructions here's the eightfold path like we've been given a map to enlightenment we've been given a map to recovery to healing to awakening the buddha had no map he was out there wandering Around trying to figure it out and getting a bunch of bad advice, and thankfully not taking the bad advice and coming to his own realization. So the Buddha is self enlightened. The Arahants are those of us who've been guided in that direction. If you have a question at home, you can raise your hand in the reactions tab down at the bottom of the Zoom page.
1: Any other thoughts? Please,
0: Stephen?
2: So I just wanted to thank you for this, because I, this is the second or third time I've done the death meditation with you, and it's the most metal meditation that you do. So thank you Yeah. And The times that I've done this before, uh, this is a side note, it reminds me, you know, in the morning sometimes I'll drive my son to Catholic school, and we'll listen to Slayer, Rain and Blood, and it's just the juxtaposition is great. Perfect. The uh, Death has been very abstract to me for a very long time and my mother's dying right now. And the, I guess the tactical part of that experience for me, thinking through this has really brought it home in a very, very palpable way. And um, you know, it's for a very long time, I, I guess I fall in the same camp that you do in terms of feeling that, um, I, I have no idea what's gonna happen after we die, honestly. But I do know that if I've come around here for a while and since I've been coming around, that um, just the recognition of present time awareness, my ability to navigate the world, things have gotten exponentially better in my life. Um, just to be able to deal with it. So I really don't know. There, this isn't really a question, yeah. Probably more of a
0: statement, but yeah. I, I just wanted to
2: express that appreciation to you in the spirit of you know, wanting to to say thank you yeah. for that because it's it's been a really crazy uh, journey for me to get to a place where I feel comfortable in my own skin. A lot of it has to do with just showing up and trying to do a little bit every day. And uh, I just wanted to thank you for
0: that. You're welcome. And I encourage not knowing. But it's different to not know when we're asking the question and investigating it than to just be like denying it and pushing it away and not even looking at our minds and our relationship to impermanence and death and our parents, you know, passing or becoming sick. So um, I think kind of coming to a place of just not knowing is great.
2: Six rounds. Yeah, I'm just wondering. Uh, I worked in hospice for like six years. Mm-hmm. probably, mm-hmm. Um, And I like worked on cadavers, been around a lot of dead bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just wondering, like, can you be in this life and still have a connection to these realms and be able to communicate with these realms while you're here, or is it just like an abstract? Mm.
0: Could you hear the question at home? Comment, question. Uh, They're asking about the six realms um, and could could one is it possible for someone to communicate with the other realms here and now in this lifetime um i don't know the answer so um i think the answer for the most part is no but i don't really know the answer uh and it also would depend you know from this perspective of how enlightened that person was, because there's all these stories about the Buddha, the enlightened Buddha, going into the different realms. So maybe you know, but for an unenlightened being to really be able to communicate with the other realms, I don't really, I don't know. Um, but when you're working with people, it seemed like it. What was your question? Well, I mean, was was the question coming from like things you'd witnessed where it seemed like people were talking to unseen? Oh, you have. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, so that's why I was just asking
0: you, you know, I'm, I don't really know. Um, I've also like, I've had some experiences with friends that have died and loved ones that have died where it felt like there was some communication, but I'm such a rational skeptic of everything that even my own, I question my own direct experience of that stuff. (laughs) Like, a whole, I've had a bunch of really weird mystical experiences, but I'm skeptical of like, did my mind just create that? Okay. You know, for me, you know, so for, for me, I'm just, you know, did my mind just project that whole thing? <laughs> like, or was it real? So I tend to just be a little too uh, rational and skeptic. But again, land in the like, I don't know if, it, if that's what's really happening, but I'm hesitant to assign meaning to those things um just in case i'm just making it up (laughs) um in theravadan buddhism in thailand and burma where i'm most familiar with it there is a lot of belief in ghosts and relationship with you know i think in i think it's called filial piety relationship with our ancestors you know, and it's very traditional in many, almost all of the Asian cultures to believe that there's, or in the Mexican cultures, the Dia de de los Muertos. I think a lot of cultures have this relationship with the ancestors and kind of feel like there's communication connection. Um, So it is more common in in Buddhism and and other traditions. I'm just a little, you know, like just a little too, much of a um rationalist to for me but i do think it's in buddhism and buddhist cultures yeah please
3: yeah there are, there are definitely a lot of things that you said that uh, were intriguing and and got me thinking so thank you um one of the first things i noticed in the meditation was resistance to some of the stuff you were saying not in a bad way that i disagreed or anything but like first one resistance is when you're saying like, uh, you know, I'm, I too, you know, I'm not exempt from like aging. And I noticed myself like, I don't want to accept that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and then uh, just um, thinking like, uh, what, it's, what effect it might have to be resisting something that is in, inevitable. And then what would it be like to surrender to something like that? And like would that free myself? um,
0: Yeah, that's that's the point.
3: Extra uh, struggle. Yeah, definitely. um, Definitely. I think it is a great reminder to be reminded of our immortality. Just, you know, like that Marcus Aurelius uh, quote, like, no, do not live as if you have like 500 or 1,000 years, you know? and it definitely gives you more of a agency um, to do the things that you want to do, mm-hmm. and definitely it resonated with me about not putting things off until tomorrow, thinking that you're always going to have that, whether it be to make amends or to give gratitude to someone. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that um, you said that really stuck with me was like bringing awareness that death is something that uh, touches us all, mm-hmm. you know. I definitely had uh moments of losing uh, a lot of family members. And I noticed one of the ways I reacted to grief at a young age was um almost like a sense of like entitlement or something. You know, someone will complain about something like, oh like not, and I would like kinda not be as gentle, be like, mm-hmm. who cares if your the elevator in your building doesn't work, lady, you know. Blah 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 is dead. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. then, then when you were saying like, "Yo, everyone's family has experienced death, and if they haven't, then they're just wait. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's gonna happen at some point. Yeah. And how that can give that can take away the feeling of like, oh, I'm alone and no one understands me, or almost like brings you if. If looked, if you process that information the right way or a way, it can show you that, you know, we are, there are someone who understands you and we all, this is something that we all can connect with.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And looking at that resistance is always key. What am I, you know, let me investigate that. Why am I resisting that? Why am I hesitant to accept my body aging? Uh, So I'm glad that, you know, some of that resonated. And uh, we're just about out of time. A couple announcements. Uh, What are my announcements? I've posted some retreats for next year, um, mostly refuge recovery so far. I'm still looking for a um, place to do our against the stream, against the stream spring retreat. I don't know if I'm gonna do it on Memorial Day this year, but I will do something in April or May, uh, annual spring retreat. So uh, get that posted soon. Um, New Year's Eve, I guess, is the next sort of event other than the regular Monday night. I will do a New Year's Eve intention setting ceremony. We'll get that open for registration pretty soon, probably. Um, I think that's it for upcoming stuff. I'm going to try to schedule um, a couple things for for next year. Uh, a bunch of us are doing an against the stream Thailand pilgrimage in a few weeks where I'll be gone for almost two Mondays. I'm going to have uh, Jeff Camozzi, um who subbed last week, is going to come and sub for me uh, both both of those weeks while I'm gone. Thank you, Jeff, who's uh, hosting our our Zoom and um, That's it. Classes done by donation um, against the stream uh, is in need of your financial support. We, uh, we the donations have been down a bit. I think you know classes down a bit. Uh, the retreats have been down a bit. I think you know maybe there's some sort of um, recession going on, and it goes in waves of getting a lot of support and not getting a lot of support. And so, if you're able to offer financial support um please be as generous as you can be to our organizations of the nonprofit. the suggested donation for uh this monday night drop-in is 20 25 somewhere in that realm if you can afford that please do that Uh, if you can't afford that you know it's very intentional that we i don't charge and that everyone's welcome here and that it's donation based um and the way that that generally works in these kind of spiritual communities buddhist communities is that those who have more give more to support the people and make it available and freely offered um, so that those who are broke can attend and it doesn't become one of those you know places where like oh i can't afford to go meditate like oh what a terrible thing i can't afford to go meditate with my community so very intentional that it's uh, open to everyone and donation based Um, I think that's it. Am I forgetting anything, Sebastian?
2: No,
0: you got it. I got it. So offering the merit, any uh, merit that was developed, the positive karma, the goodness created by our practice and discussion of death, awakening, freedom, and healing. May each one of us share this with each other. And with all beings in all directions, may each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime, and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Then I'll be here for the next three weeks, I think, until we take off on that trip. So see you soon, I hope. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.